The conversations on this podcast are between the host and the guest and are not directed at any member of the general public. The information is for your listening pleasure, but is not offering you any personal advice. If you have heard something that you feel may be relevant to yourself, please visit your medical practitioner or mental health provider. A quick introduction for those of you who haven't listened to the podcast before. I'm Daniel, and each week I bring you a conversation with someone who I think is inspirational or brings something inspiring to the podcast. It's about things that change or could change our lives, and that's why I called it Life Changes You. Listen to the range of topics around psychology, mental health, and inspiration, and find out how life changes you. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Life Changes You. It's been a good week. Well, sort of up and down, but we're into the fifth season. We've had a few fantastic female people on who have talked about their specialities. And today I want to introduce you to Sally McGrath. And she's from Sydney, Australia. Yay, because I don't get many people from Australia on here. She's going to be talking about burnout treatment, awareness and prevention for individuals and in the workplace. You'll also find her on Instagram at Health That Heals. And hello, Sally. How are you? Hi, Daniel. Great to be here. Thank you. I'm really well, really well. Well, from my point of view, it's really good to be able to record at a normal time of the day, not like eight or nine o'clock at night or first thing in the morning. <laughs> Because I've had some from America where I've had to be in the studio at 6am and it's, it's hard to get up and get your head ready. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, no, regular timing. What is it? Afternoon. So well awake, had a couple of coffees and... <laughs> I'm good stuff. Ready to go. <laughs> so do you want to give us a little bit of an overview about what you do? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Daniel. So my practice is all around creating awareness about burnout and very much around in a, a lot of cases, treating burnout. So a lot of the private clients that I work with, I'm supporting them to treat what's caused their burnout, really unraveling the habits and behaviours that have contributed to what has um, caused their burnout yep. and pulling that apart and really um, putting back together how they're going to go forward and live their life, taking out all those destructive behaviours and things that have caused really poor habits and often I find with those two, Daniel, they're ingrained. So they're conditioned behaviours, as I'm sure you see in practice. Yeah. And also um, you just become so used to the way you function. You just think, you know, it's it's just almost not consciously considered, is it? It's just very much autopilot is a great yeah. way to describe it, I guess. Yeah. 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 So look, I mean, when you were coming on as a burnout specialist, I just thought of people like working too hard. But now you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, they could be drinking a lot. They could be contributing to their state with drugs, family issues. You know, there's a whole lot of things that actually come into burnout, isn't it? It's not just about work. No, no. Look, in, in the space that I work in, it's very much around the work created burnout. You've hit on some really um, significant points there, Daniel, and I see it repeatedly. You know, burnout is essentially acute stress that hasn't been managed yeah. or has been poorly managed. What I see is that burnout frequently is medicated, if you like, with alcohol or drugs, Yeah, you know, coffee being one of those. So what I found and certainly what one of my experiences was that you get into that stressed out mindset, you go home, you have a glass of wine or a drink of your preferred choice to um, de-stress. 
Then you have another one and then, you know, you can't sleep properly. So you get up, you start working. For some of those that might, you know, see drugs, illicit drugs, prescribed drugs as an outlet, then, you know, that can be something that comes into play. To get to sleep, you need drugs. Then in the morning, you're, you know, trying to ramp yourself up with coffee. Yeah. You know, vitamins, all those sorts of bits and pieces that contribute to um, stimulating your body and essentially fighting against what your body's really saying to you, which is slow down and stop. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, when you were talking now, I was thinking about so many people I know, and I'm not one of them, but so many people who use those energy drinks nowadays in the mornings on their way to work to get them going. And I tried them years ago, and I probably I had two or three in a day, and anxiety just went through the roof because I was just trembling because I didn't realize they were going to do that to me. But yeah, it's just full on, isn't it? There's so many things that contribute. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. By the time I start to see um, private clients, people have, have pretty much tried every trick in the book. So every potion, every lotion, every pill, every multivitamin, you know, that's combating stress. Yeah, and and they literally come to me and just go, I don't know what to do anymore. I need help. I mean, great that they've come forward and sought help, but yeah. sad got to that place and band aided essentially what I call the spiral into burnout. So by the time I see people, they're in in quite a a messy situation, quite a tough position. So, so what made you decide to specialise in burnout? I'd had my own experience, Daniel, and you could call me a slow learner with with it if you like. I didn't experience it once. I experienced it three times before wow. I actually um, actually did something transformational, really. And I, I, I use that word carefully because I know transformation can be used quite generically now, but it, it yeah. really was a massive transformation for me the third time. The first time I burnt out, I was essentially doing too much. So I was running two businesses one started at, you know, essentially five in the morning, finished, you know, PT business. So I, I was doing that in the morning till eight, eight, eight thirty, getting dressed, going into a day job and then going back to do PT. So I was working stupid hours and then sometimes working weekends as well. So do that for any length of time without a, a good break and, and you will burn out. So my resolution to that was, um, okay, let's get rid of the business. So I did. I got rid of that business. Which one was that, your PT one or your PT main? PT business, yeah. yeah, yeah. And reacquainted my client base with, with other PTs and pushed on with the um, consulting business that I was a partner in. Then the second time I burnt out was in that consulting business. Right. Taking on a huge team. I was running the business, general management, operational management training, uh, you name it, I was responsible and managing a team of at some stage 20 people. It was quite intense and I did, I just got to the stage where it was just all too much. I thought, oh, okay, I'll just go and um, have a holiday, you know, yep. go to a retreat, put my feet up, do yoga in the morning, work out, drink herbal tea and chill out. And let me assure you, it was a stunning retreat, beautiful retreat, but it wasn't a long-term solution. Yeah. So um, burnout number three five years after that, I did push on. I know I pushed on ignoring it for a long period of time. And then my body just stopped me. And that's what I say to clients now. I said, your body will send you so many signs. You know, it will get sick. It will get sore. Your mental health will suffer. There are just so many signs, fatigue and acute fatigue, extreme fatigue being one of them, as I say, into that spiral into burnout. 
It was inevitable. I essentially had a breakdown. Wow. Yeah, my whole life sort of flashed in front of my eyes and a lot of loss out of that. I had to um, get out of the partnership that I was in and uh, relationship breakdowns. I was, yeah, I think I, I weighed about 40, 40 odd kilos at that time as well. Stress for me, I tend to, um, at that point in my life, I was losing weight. Some people tend to put on weight, depends on how your body reacts. I was just a, a nervous wreck, really, and very, very um, stressed out and consequently burnt out. So, yeah, very um, challenging period for me. So I thought, well, I've got two choices. I can have a lifetime pity party and, you know, poor me, or I can choose to, you know, pick myself up, dust myself off and find a way out of this. So that's what I chose to do. And fundamentally, that's how I've come to create my practice. I'm very passionate about people not going into that spiral if they can avoid it. And those that sadly have, then bringing them out and showing them that life can be pretty special and you can still you can still be ambitious you can still achieve and enjoy without burning yourself out so yeah so what sort of period do, do you think or do you know that this happened over you know the, the three burnouts was it quite close to each other or was it sometime apart like years apart it was a, it would have been over about a five year period five to six year period right first one doing too much really yeah. Second time, ignoring all the warning signs and, again, taking on too much. So, And there's a lot of behavioural traits that go into that. So perfection is one of them, control is one of them, workaholism is another. They're three of the key things I see time and time again in um, my clients that present with burnout. So. Yeah. And then the third time was essentially just going, my body going, you haven't listened, so we're going to shut you down until you do something about it. Wow. I yeah. mean, look, I, I sort of know where you're coming from because when I got chronic fatigue, at that time I was working 12-hour days, five days a week. I was partying all weekend, going out during the days. And eventually when I got it, I was just like, I can't have chronic fatigue. That's what, you know, that's yuppie flu, you know, and I'd always said to people, oh, you know, why don't they just get up and go to work? And when I had it, I realized that you just can't get up and go to work. And I would say it would probably be similar to how you were feeling, especially when you had your breakdown. Like, you know, you just don't, you lose interest in everything. You don't want to do anything. You don't want to talk to anyone. You just sort of want to be in a cocoon and just sleep and eat and do what you, the bare minimum, because everything seems too much. I mean, I was even at the stage where bright light or too much noise was annoying to me. And then I found out I had fibromyalgia, which, you know, I, one thing talking to you is good because I have fibromyalgia and I don't stop. And my specialist had said to me a few years ago, if you don't stop, fibromyalgia will make you stop. But, you know, I've been going years now just doing everything I want to do. And but I wanted to speak to you because I, I wanted to hear why I need to prepare. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. And that's, I mean, the body is is remarkable. It does speak louder and louder the more you ignore it and it will it will stop you if you don't listen. So, and interestingly, that's where one of my favourite um, phrases has, has come from, listen to your body. I practice that daily now. You know, right. I've been one, even when I was going through these burnout experiences, I thought, right, stress management, run. So I started running. 
And I loved running because it was it was meditational for me. It was just getting me out of, you know, my head and literally just out in the fresh air. And I thought, oh, this is good. I've nailed it. You know, I'm running. I'm managing my stress. It's all good. And you just keep pushing, keep pushing. Even when I was exhausted, you know, after two or three hours sleep because I maybe had drinks on the, after work to chill out and yeah. then go home, fallen asleep because, you know, the alcohol numbs your whole body wake up because you can't sleep, then I'd be working and then I'd still get up at five in the morning and go for an hour run. So I look back now and think, how the hell did I Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking when you were saying earlier about you're working in a consulting business and doing PT, personal training before work, and I was thinking to myself, well, surely if you're going to be doing personal training for three hours before work and then do a full day of work, you're actually exhausting your body before you even get to work. Yeah. 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 I look back now and just think, what were you doing? What were you doing? And that's where I say one of the precursors to burnout is exceptionally ambitious people. Yeah. And as I said before, linking that very closely to perfectionist behaviours yeah. and the workaholism, holding all that together is that control. So always needing to be in control, needing to know what's going on. And it's interesting, I relate this back to, as I mentioned when we first started chatting, Daniel, to um, conditioning. Yeah. And this is very much related to what we've seen growing up. I must put a disclaimer around this. This is not being critical. This is purely being observational and learning and research and pulling things apart and wondering how this has all come about. And you may have been privy to this as well. I know a lot of my clients are you were always taught that you had to to work hard to be successful. So for yeah. me, that that resonated in, right, well, you know, work hard and the harder you work, the more successful you'll be and success was closely linked to financial performance in what I learned. So it was, right, the harder you work, the better off you're going to be. And then, you know, we've got this mentality that says, right, work hard and then stop at 50 or 60 and then you can enjoy everything. Yeah. Which I've got to be honest, I've completely changed my my perspective on that, completely changed my perspective on that for quite some time now. So, yeah, I don't know if you resonate with that or you see that a lot. of. Uh, yeah, look, I do. With my dad, like I left school at 15 and I didn't want to work for him. I wanted to find my own job. And I remember going to CES and I found a job at a factory and as soon as I came home and told Dad I had an interview for it, he said, you're not bloody doing that. You're coming to work with me. So I worked with him until I was 18, doing building and uh, landscaping, concreting. And I learned quite a lot. But then we built a house together. Well, it was Dad's house. I helped him build it as a labourer. And then they took off overseas for nine weeks. And a friend of theirs said, why don't you come and work in disability? Now, once I worked in there, that was what I wanted to do. And I loved what I was doing. And then when I actually got fibromyalgia, that's when I had a break where I could study counselling because before that, I never had the opportunity. So in my mind, I thank fibromyalgia for stopping me because it gave me the opportunity to go in a different direction, although now I combine disability and counselling together. So I wanted to go back to, you were talking about the three that come with a burnout and one of them was perfectionism. And I don't know if you feel the same, but I think with perfectionism, it's almost like how do you know when you've crossed over to being a perfectionist? Because most of us, when we're doing work, we want our work to look good and reflect what we're doing. But then where does it come a point where it actually 
becomes too much that because I like I just think of when I'm working you know or when I'm doing a podcast I want it to be really good but then when I listen back I go oh there's a that's perfectionism isn't it when I listen back and I go oh that wasn't quite right <laughs> I answered my own question <laughs> well and and it is it's perfection is very much around control I'll use an example so in the workplace I would ask a colleague to do something can you put together this presentation? I'm just going to use a really random example, Daniel. Yep. And, you know, here's the brief. It needs to be 10 pages and it needs to be read and it needs to, um, this is the objective. It's going to this client, la, la, la. Right. So you deliver the brief, then you get it back and you look at it and immediately you start being critical. I, you yeah, don't yeah. look at, wow, thank you for putting that together. You crafted yeah, yeah, the yeah. beginning of it for me. Um, and yeah. now we can work through it together because, you know, highly likely that, you know, that person doesn't necessarily know the way you work. Yep. You're you're just making this assumption that everything in your head is going into theirs. Yeah. Because you are in this constant stressed out, flooding mind state. And that's where the perfectionism becomes really, really destructive, not not only to yourself, but also to others. And interestingly, one of the signs, one of the key signs that I see present with burnout frequently is procrastination. And procrastination is also closely linked to perfectionism. So when you're in burnout, you tend to take a longer period of time to do a job that you would normally do quite quickly. So, and I'll use an example there. It could be sorting through your emails in the morning. Like you might just run through and go, right, delete, delete, delete. That's rubbish. That's rubbish. Right, earmark, you know, the first three that you need to manage and rest, yep. you delegate for later. That yep. you could spend a whole day in your inbox if you're in burnout because you're just going, oh, God, I've got to get this off my to-do list and that's not good enough and that's not done and that's not done. And, and just completely unrealistic expectations of yourself. But then yeah. expecting to achieve a to-do list that's, you know, 50 tasks long in, you know, yeah. four hours or eight hours or whatever it may be that you've given yourself to do this. So very much around excessive expectations of self and then yep. linking it to procrastination. So because it's not perfect, you procrastinate delivering what work you might be doing finishing yeah. it because you're just like, no, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. So, you know, that then you procrastinate. Then you miss a deadline. Then you start going through that whole cycle again, beating yeah. yourself up, stressed out, working excessive hours. So there are so many cycles in burnout. It's just um, it's just a perpetual cycle of, of self-destruct, really. So with the people that you see, like I know you can't give me an exact number, but what would you say would be the rough sort of hours that someone would work that does have burnout? I mean, I look, I guess this doesn't really matter because there would be people that would work 100 hours a week and not have burnout, but then there would be people who work 50 hours who have burnout. There could be people who work 20 hours and other things going on in their life like home life and partners, and, and then that could cause you to burn out because I guess, uh, I, look, I mean, I am an overthinker. I analyse nearly everything I think about. But I also realize that I'm overthinking and I'm analyzing too much. So when I do that, then I just think, right, now I've got to watch some TV or I've got to listen to some music or I've got to read a book or I've got to go for a walk with the dog or phone someone because that knocks me out of it. And it's funny how we sit and analyze so much. And I guess uh, people who get burnout are people who overanalyze things because they want to make it so right. Like you're saying with perfectionism, they want to make sure whatever they're presenting is the best they can. 
well, not the best they can, probably even better than they know they can. Yeah, and and the number of hours is different in each person. Yeah. I would go as far as to say, generally speaking, there is excessive amount of hours worked. Yeah. It's tricky to put a number on that because everyone's in different yeah. different workspaces that I that I talk to and what I would call different levels of responsibility. So they could be senior management, they could be self employed, you know, running corporations or running running their own businesses. So it does it does yeah. vary. And interestingly, some of the people that I've worked with have also left their work and not worked for a good period of time. So there's right. a couple of people that I that come to mind immediately that have done that. I did that. I didn't work properly for two years. Wow. Because I just had to essentially rebuild everything, everything. Yep. When we're talking number of hours, it's more of workaholic behaviour. So you constantly, you know, connected to the phone, constantly connected to the laptop, got to be accessible even though you're not at work, you're thinking about work, but it's not in a what I would deem a creative way. It's more in a it's dragging down on you heavily. Yeah. Yet when you are working, your your general work is taking a lot longer to do because your body is in burnout. It, it is exhausted. Yeah, yeah. And it is just going through this constant cycle of exhaustion and fatigue. So... I was going to ask you about, I guess, not just social media, but also having a phone now where you can get emails constantly, messages constantly. How how much do you think that contributes to oh, burnout? Huge, huge. Yeah. I don't know what the recent statistics are on that. In fact, that's something I would like to, to reinvestigate. But absolutely. I mean, we're essentially walking around with a computer in our in our pocket, yeah. bag, handbag, you name it, all the time, all the time. And that is definitely something that, that I I do talk about a lot, disconnecting. I'm very aware of it myself because I can easily, you know, you just think, oh, I'll quickly answer that and, you know, that'll be done. Or yeah. I am probably my best advocate because if I'm not <laughs> walking my talk, then, you know, it, something's out of alignment. And I'm, I guess that keeps me honest as well. You know, calling myself on poor behaviours that are that creep back in, and I think it's yeah. something that I've that I guess is um, as I call myself a recovering perfectionist, and you know, I'm I'm a recovering burnout, and what I call myself a burnout survivor now thriver. So right. it, it's very much about being very aware, and and that's essentially what we do. We create the, this awareness, this acute awareness, where you can call yourself out. You can go actually. 10 o'clock at night and I'm responding to an email. That's really not sending yeah. a good message. That no. said, I do suggest that if that is your area of genius at 10 o'clock at night, then make it work for you during the day. Take some, pull some time back. And that works very much around the piece that I call work and life synergy, which has come out of the whole burnout experience and, and very much of the work that I do around the preventative piece. Well, look, I know running a business, uh, sometimes I'll get home and I haven't finished all my stuff at work, but I don't work long hours. So I work 25 hours one week, 35 the next. So when I come home and I sit there and I do some emails or I might write some new programs and things like that, I don't see that as doing too much because 
I, I figure, look, I'm only in the studio that amount of hours. So when I come home, I, that should be my time to catch up on the other stuff because most people are working till five or six. I'm finishing at 3.30. So, but I do need to keep an eye on things because with working and doing the podcast and last year I had a friend who was terminally ill and then I had my mum who had a few illnesses. You know, I was constantly going and I was getting home at seven, eight o'clock at night hospital visits and then you'd cook tea and then you'd watch a bit of TV and you'd go to bed at 10, but you hadn't had time to actually unravel what had happened during the day before you went to bed. So when you woke up in the morning or when you're trying to sleep, you're just overthinking all these things that have happened because your, your brain's still going, well, hold on, we haven't sorted all this out yet. It's too early for you to go to bed. We need to sort it out. So then you take something to sleep and then you wake up in the morning and you've got it all back in your head. So I guess that was last year, a little bit of burnout because there was things I couldn't stop. I just had to keep yeah. going. Yeah. And there, and look, there are periods of life where you do need to lean in and you you will be working excessive hours. You may have a parent to look after or, you know, as, as sadly as I know you've had, Daniel, a, a terminally ill friend. Um, yeah. So, and, and you know, there there are things in life that happen and you will, as I say, need to lean in. But I think it's really, really important that when there is that regular period, I'm very careful the way I use normal, when there is that regular period where it's, it's you know, business is ticking along, work is ticking along, whatever it may be, parents are healthy, kids are doing well, work's going well, just go, you know, every now and then just say, actually, it's, you know, it's okay to pull back, to take an afternoon off, to take a long weekend, to maybe have a day where you actually don't do anything. Enjoy that slower pace and acknowledge that there is a slower phase going on. And rather than thinking, oh my goodness, what's wrong? It's so quiet. You know, this isn't what happens. Embrace it because you know it. it's not going to last. No. And that's what I was just going to pick you up on because I... And look, I think it's always been my parents who have said this. If things are going too good, something's going to go wrong. And so I always think, oh, things are going really good. I know, something's going to go wrong. And we shouldn't think like that because it could just mean that things are going to continue to be so good. Exactly. Yeah, it it is. It's very much. And that, again, is conditioning, you know. You can go quite deep into that, you know. Things are going really well, so of course they're going to go badly soon. That's just a a self-defeating mindset which can be very much part of those negative thoughts that are associated with the burnout phase, definitely, definitely. Look, I mean, everyone I've spoken to since I started the podcast, I realise more and more how conditioned we are and it's not necessarily our parents' fault. I mean, my parents were great and my mum's still alive, but there are things that you learn from them and then you take them on board and then that continues through your history until you go, hold on a minute, that doesn't work for me. That's not something that's working. Why am I, why am I going with that? That's because that's something I've learned. Oh, so is it true? And then you ask yourself those questions. But if you can grab those little bits as you realize what they are and remove them, I mean, it's not always easy, but remove those ideas and things that you've been taught, you can come out a lot better through the other end. There's so many things we're conditioned with and people I've spoken to who have been addicted to alcohol and drugs and things like that. And they actually condition themselves. Well, I won't be able to do this if I don't have A, B or C, or what if I wake up tomorrow and I feel like I need a drink, you know? And it's like, that's the conditioning that, but that's not someone else who's conditioned. It's they've conditioned themselves. I won't be able to do this. I won't be able to go to sleep. I won't be, I won't be. And sometimes those things, probably the same as burnout, take you a good few months to adjust and realize that you can do things without those things 
you can live a good life without having to work 20 hours a day. The world's not going to fall apart. Your job's not going to fall apart. And I find with some people that I've spoken to recently about their jobs, they do do their jobs. Then they go home and they do their job. And then they're thinking about their job. And they're never actually having that time off where they're not actually yeah. in their job. It, I guess it becomes part of who they are, doesn't it? It's their identity. I do this job. So this is what I Absolutely. need to achieve. And, and that's another um, that's another phrase that I, I really like is um, your productivity does not determine your worth because we are so intertwined with our our job, our career, you know, who we show up as every day in the workplace being who we are. Yeah. The harder you work, the more hours you work, the better the employee you are, the better business you've got, the better manager you are. It's not... Not the case, and I think we've just had this generational um, succession of you're defined by what you do, and I, and I take that as yeah. far as a social setting. You know, think about the last barbecue or the last bar you went to, last function you went to, social function. Hi, Daniel, how are you? Oh, what do you do? It's usually the first to the third question in. Yeah. Where do you live? Yeah. What do you do? And are you married? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> it's it's those, and and rather than you know reframing it as I I like to say, and and saying you know what makes you smile, what what contribution do you are you making to change the world? What you know what are your thoughts on the environment? Something different rather than pigeonholing you. Yeah. Because immediately you know someone says, "Oh right, you're an accountant. Oh, you must be boring then. You like numbers." Yeah. Because it it's is. that stereotype that we have in our head that we've learned over the years through conditioning that that person's going to be like this, that yep. person's going to be like that. And it's yep. really hard, isn't it, to change it how you it think? Is. You've immediately got this assumption. And and I do, I credit the, um, the younger generations for really pushing back on that. Yep. And they, you know, from the work that I've done in the workplaces, and I say this especially around some of the legal firms, They've got younger employees pushing back on working crazy, crazy hours, which is really refreshing. It does create another set of challenges, yeah. which is what I call a collision of culture and generational cultures. As I, as I like yeah. to say to them, I just want a healthy level of respect. I don't expect either generation to totally understand, but I just want a healthy level of respect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, you're just saying that about lawyers. I mean, we only have to think about doctors working and uh, registrars and people like that. It would be good if, I guess, per from a personal point of view, if they didn't weren't saddled with so much debt when they start out as doctors, that then they could be a bit more relaxed into what they're doing and not have to work so many hours. Because, well, it's quite commonly known, a lot of doctors don't last past two, three, four years once they become doctors because they're so burnt out from everything they have to do and everything they have to keep in their head of when they're seeing people. I mean, I, I don't know how they cope with it from the beginning because it's just such a, a big workload. That, Burnout must be through the roof for people like that. Oh, absolutely. And and the sad part about especially medical profession, you know, we've all been acute, made acutely aware of the, the rate of burnout in the medical profession given the last few years. Yeah. Teaching is another one. I've heard that there's just, again, a cultural issue that, you know, just do it. That's just how it's always been. So just get on yeah. and do it. That yeah. is not how we need to, how we want to 
attract new people to these professions. It is not, it doesn't have to be that way. I I know I wouldn't like someone working on my body or educating me or, or anyone I know if they were, you know, at the end of their tether and completely exhausted and barely showing up and, you know, on one hand using alcohol to chill out and on the other hand using coffee or drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In some cases to pep up. Yeah. You know, that that in itself presents a whole level of social and insurance issues, quite honestly. So And you never really get the the real balance, do you? Because if you're someone who's drinking at night or using drugs and in the morning you're having coffee, your body isn't actually getting that downtime to reassess how the next day is going to be. You're just getting up and getting on with it. And that doesn't work because eventually, yeah, you burn out because your body needs those breaks. Hmm. Well, it's just your head's just in a constant state of brain fog. It yeah. doesn't get time to clear up or get any clarification or, you know, to actually think or not think in, in some cases. Uh, so what's one thing you could say to people who are listening that might give them an idea that they are heading towards burnout or are in burnout and what would be their first step to do? There's a, there's a few things. I think if, if people are really starting to find sleep generally is interrupted, yeah. sleep is impacted by constantly thinking about work, yeah. um, waking at night thinking about work and then consequently being in a, a brain fog pretty much all the next day. And this goes on and on and on. Where, where, where I get really concerned is when people start to normalise that. So if, if I think to answer your question, Daniel, is if you've got extreme fatigue, your body is literally, you're dragging yourself out of bed every day. Your body is aching, tired, fatigued. Yeah. You're getting constant ailments. It could be a niggling cold that just won't go away. You know, you're ruminating over work. You're getting very, very negative, cynical, and really short-tempered with family, friends, colleagues, management, staff, whatever people you're in a um, level of communication with, you're getting very, very snappy and short. That is a, a, a definite sign. You know, these are cumulative. What else is there? A general lack of motivation. Is that motivation outside of work? Both. Right. Both. So yeah. life, what I find is when, when people are in or presenting with burnout, everything in life, so it could be something, you know, a celebration, they've been invited to lunch with their friends, um, taking their kids to the park, something that they might usually go, oh, really looking forward to it, you know, a few yeah. bit of time out. And they go, oh, do, you know, it's like another tick done on the to-do list. It's like yeah, a yeah. chore. Yeah. You know, you go shopping, you buy a new dress, and it's like, oh, God, now I've got to take it home and cut the labels off and do this and do that. So there's no joy in anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you're starting to find life one constant to-do list, then we need to talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, look, this uh, this is A4, and I used to have a list all the way down to the bottom of things I needed to do. And then I changed it to the things I need to do this week and the things I need to do over time. It was so much better because I actually enjoyed doing what I had to do. Surely, you know, if there's something like I need to do banking today or I need to go to a medical appointment, that's something I have to do today. But to just have the ones for the week and then ones long term, 
was so much easier than having a whole list going, oh, what am I going to do today? Oh, I could do that. I could do that. So I guess a, a bit of organization can work as well. Yeah. Because a lot of people go, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And they've got no clue how they're going to start or what they're going to do or what the steps are to do it. And I'm seeing quite a bit in social media now that it's just uh, like Nike, just do it, don't think about it. And I think, no, I'm a little bit the other way around. I want to think it through and then put it into practice because then I know what I'm doing and how I'm going to work it. I mean, look, both both ways work, but I think sometimes just jumping into things can lead you into a hole. Yes, yeah, definitely. And that's um, what you're doing with your to-do list. I, I commend you on that's I think that's one of the first things, the simple things that you can do to to really start to reframe how you operate and, um, yeah. and how you think, definitely. And time management is is something that is often lost when someone's in burnout because, you know, everything needs to be done yesterday and it's all got to be perfect and they're, you know, that they need to have control over it all. So time management and literally when I was recovering, I still do it now, I color code everything in my diary and I put in when I especially when I've got hectic periods, Sally, go for a walk. And right. I, I block out time in my diary because I know it's just too easy for me to start working in the morning at eight o'clock, for example, and be still at my desk at six o'clock in the evening. Yeah. And that's something that I was guilty of doing um, when I burnt out. I would literally get to the office in darkness in winter especially and leave the office in darkness i didn't see daylight so yeah it's it's um that that when things like that are happening when you look up and you think oh where's the last eight hours gone in fact i still need more time to get work done then there is some significant issues that need to be managed there definitely as far as burning out well look the great thing about this conversation is anyone that's listening We'll hear that you've been through burnout and you had a breakdown and I went through chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, and we were both able to reassess and be able to continue working, enjoying life, doing the things we want to do. Because a lot of people feel that when something like that happens, oh, it's the end, you know, I'm a failure. I, I didn't achieve what I wanted to achieve. People at work are going to think, I mean, make fun of me because, you know, I was the one who couldn't handle it. But in actual fact, it's actually a time for you to reassess and to look inside and go, actually, what are the things I'm doing at the moment that aren't that important that I can cut back on? And what are some things that I really want to do that I haven't had time to do? So you might be doing, say you're doing gym five days a week and you're realizing, well, maybe I could go to the gym three days a week and have two times a week where I meet up with my partner or I go and have a coffee or I go and have a walk or, you know, so it's just about reevaluating where you are. And that could take some of the stress out of maybe heading towards a burnout or illness because you're no longer just, I have to do all this. Like you were saying, you put in that you'll go uh, go for a walk. Those are all great suggestions because people don't think of that. They get to work and they just work. So what do you think about that, Sally? Yeah, I, I, think, it's, I think it's a really good strategy as far as um, going forward. I think the most important part of that is identifying that if if you are relating to some of the things that we've chatted about today, Daniel, it's not a weakness. It's actually a, a real strength. Yeah. And and this is something that I see so much and sadly still see it way too frequently. There is so much shame associated to burning out. 
you know, people that I the people that I work with, both privately and in the workplace, say, but if I admit that I'm burning out or I can't cope, you know, it's seen as I can't cope. I won't get, you know, considered for promotion. I won't get considered for partner. I may not get that pay rise. You know, if I if I can't cope with this workload, how can I cope with the next level up? And there's this shame and there's this perpetual cycle where people won't say this isn't working for me. I want to do it. I can do it. I just need to find another way to do it. Yeah. And that is a message that I'm really, really acutely aware of and, and shedding light on, if you like, you know, creating conversation around it, the shame and the stigma around burnout, which is why I share my story freely. If I can recover, so can others. Exactly. And, and yeah. I guess that's why I do what I do because I did. I thought, wow, if I've been through this, then there must be a lot of other people that are that are struggling and and have you know had fundamental issues that have interrupted the joy in their life as well. So it's funny. Someone said to me the other day, "How did you get into what you do?" And I said, "Well, I, it happened." Yeah. You certainly don't. You know, at the age of fifteen, grow up thinking, "Oh, I'll be a burnout expert <laughs> one day." <laughs> Well, look, what you were just saying before about the stigma around burnout and things like that, I have to agree with you 100% because I'm thinking back to when I was a kid growing up in England about, say, between the age of five and 10, and I remember either my dad or an auntie that lived in the street going, oh, well, not to me, saying to someone else, oh, you know, old Mrs. So-and-so around the corner or Mr. So-and-so, I had a breakdown, work, yeah, breakdown, and then it became the gossip of the street. So if attitudes are changing around that, it must be good because in actual fact, burning out and rebuilding yourself and coming back shows resilience and courage because to come back and face the people you're working with and going, yeah, actually I did burn out. I was doing too much. I wasn't doing what I should have done in my self-care and self-care is something I'm slowly learning, but I am learning it because I realized last year I was just on autopilot, like you said before, and I was just, okay, I've got to go to the hospital. I've got to go and see mum. I've got to go to work. I've got to do this. I've got to record a podcast. And even though the podcast last year was brilliant, I still felt afterwards I didn't give it my all because I was running on autopilot. And when you have a bit more time to sit down and think about what you're doing, like today, and I always say to people, I never research what people do. I, all I researched about you was that you were a burnout specialist and that you helped people in the workplace and individuals to get through burnout. But other than that, I don't know your story because I want to hear it when everybody else is hearing it. Because I think then that gives you a better or gives us a better conversation where I don't pre-already know what you're going to talk about. Yeah, yeah. But wherever I was before that, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about the shame and, and that's... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's definitely one of my focuses is, Good. is, is very much around the piece that deals with shame and stigma associated with burnout because... That is what is contributing to our massive attrition rate in medicine, in teaching, in many of the professions. So I think the more that we talk about it and talk about, as, as you've highlighted, Daniel, that you can come back from it yeah. or you can catch it at a point where you can build a preventative strategy and come forward and reframe how you're operating. What you're yeah. The clients that I work with in that space they they just have light bulb moments. They're like, oh my goodness, I didn't know it could be this good. I can still drive my career. I can still live a fulfilled life, but I can still have a life. Yeah. Uh, 
And that's why I bring in that work and life synergy piece because it's not saying, you know, life is all rainbows and unicorns. We all know it's not. There are periods of time when you do need to go, okay, this is particularly intense, particularly stressful and particularly hectic. And it's I am going to need to, you know, work intensely and then look after you know, someone who may be ill or children or something, you know, extracurricular, studying for an example. But it is for a period of time and I can go, okay, focus and then pull back and and up the self-care essentially. So do you ever have people that come to you who are burnt out from their normal life and not so much work? Um, Not essentially. The The work I tend to do is very much around work. What I see all the time is that their life is not nurtured and that's yep. where the conflict comes. Okay, yeah, so yeah. Everything's been channeled into surviving because essentially the work is the line where they go, okay, I can't lose work because I'm financially dependent on it. Yeah, um, yep. And there's so much worth tied up in that as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Got to keep going, got to cope, got to, got to, got to, got to. <laughs> and, and just be seen to be coping and, and not. And that's where you see the damage in many cases done to relationships, the lack of joy, the lack of spirituality. When people can tend to get really unhealthy, they're just making quick food choices, they're exercise tends to be the first thing that goes because they're too tired and too stressed and don't have time yeah. and it's that perpetual cycle it's like a treadmill they're on a treadmill and they just don't know how to stop it yeah and i think also what we were saying before about the stigma around being burnt out there is also the stigma of being unemployed so yeah. people will keep working 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 because they don't want people to think oh he's not working she's not working why aren't they working oh they lost their job oh why did they lose their job you know so it's also a catch 22 of that so you don't want to burn yourself out but then also you're thinking as you said you need to earn money you need that sense of identity but then you also don't want to be unemployed it's there's so many things involved isn't there with burnout there is yeah the pressure associated with that there, there are some clients that have I've worked with that have fortunately been able to take some time off. They've been in a position where they where they could support themselves or be supported financially and needed to be to recover fully. And there was also some shame around that, interestingly, because very, very successful people. And and one of uh, I remember one client saying to me specifically, you know, I'm I'm moving in circles that are, you know, it's an expectation that you are somebody and you have this amazing career and um, and I just shared with them reframe that question or go forward with that question and say yeah I'm taking a grown-up sabbatical right now yeah. I'm just doing I'm reassessing where I'm going what I'm doing what what really drives me what my purpose is and I'm taking a grown-up sabbatical because again I, c- I come back to it our worth is not what we do and it's just so tightly wound in 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 what we do. It's just, yeah, it's really a shame. <laughs> and I guess that goes back to childhood when kids are watching TV shows where there's Sam the Fireman, Postman Pat, yep. you know, there's those identities. And I know when I grew up at school, you categorise things into those sort of things. So it might be Fred is the doctor, Bill is the painter, you know, and that's how you learn how to do all those things. 
by putting them into categories. And then as you grow up, I mean, not so much here, I haven't felt, but in England, there's your middle class, then there's the upper people, and then there's the people at the bottom. And I think here in Australia, we're actually quite lucky that I don't think the divide is so concrete as what it is in the UK, but I don't, maybe I just don't know those people. Maybe I don't really fully understand the different groups we've got in our society and, and what they're going through. Yeah. But yeah, it, it was a it was a type of learning growing up that everything had to be categorised into boxes and stuff. And maybe kids nowadays are learning different ways of dealing with things. Yeah, yeah. It is, and I think it's just about keeping an open mind. I mean, uh, you know, we all have different values and and beliefs and ethics and you know some people aren't defined by their work which is which is rewarding and refreshing and they have done you know some work on on redefining how you know what their value is and and their contribution what i see is is very much a part of the burnout recovery and prevention is that yes we do need purpose but it's that it's that combination of being aware of when you are defining yourself by work rather yeah. than work being sure be ambitious and it gives you purpose it gives you connection it gives you an opportunity for communication building friendships and it's a critical part of what we do and how we function as individuals but we just need to be mindful of that you know defining ourselves that's that's my um my concern well, look, Sally, can I tell you how, how much I enjoyed our conversation? It was really interesting and lots of great points you brought up, which I guess you don't really even think about. I mean, especially considering people at work and, you know, the stigma that goes around having burnout, because I guess burnout is one of those things now, which is on the increase because people are working more. They're, they're buying bigger houses than what they actually need. So they're having to work harder to pay off that bigger house. And then the interest rates in Australia are going back through the roof and everybody's trying to cope with what they can. But anyway, I didn't want to talk about anything else. I just wanted to thank you so much for coming on. It's been really lovely to speak to someone in the same country that I'm in and, and to learn so much new stuff that I wasn't 100% aware of. Great. Um, I've really enjoyed being a part of the show, Daniel. Thank you. Oh, fantastic. What, what's your website where people can get you? Yeah, my website is healththatheals, all one word, .com.au, healththatheals.com.au. And can they find you on social media as well? Uh, yes, uh, Instagram, healththatheals, and LinkedIn, uh, Sally McGrath. So you can reach out to me there. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, Sally, thank you so much for being on. It was really good to talk to you. I really enjoyed our conversation and uh, we must uh, touch base again down the track and have another chat about burnout and what we can do. Love to. Thanks very much, Daniel. Thank you and bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. If you liked it, please share it with your friends and share on social media and subscribe. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram and watch live conversations on Wednesdays and get daily updates. You can also follow the YouTube channel and watch live conversations and listen to the podcast from there. Keep sending in your emails and messages as I love reading them and interacting with you. And I'll always respond to you. So until next week, take care of yourselves and each other.